welcome to the Strange Matters Podcast, where we discuss all that is bizarre, mysterious, and unexplained. I'm your host for this episode, Eric, joined by my fellow co-host, Sean. Hey, everybody. So in this episode, we will be discussing a few instances of hauntings and unexplained paranormal events. Each of the topics we will be covering in this episode vary in their subject matter, whether it be a haunted location, a birthplace of an urban legend, or malignant spirits, stuff like that. However, each of the cases we will be talking about involves unexplained phenomenon and mysteries, as well as being pretty stinking creepy. Right, so as many of you listeners know, we get most of our ideas for our episodes from you all, as we are constantly getting a lot of great suggestions sent in to us by our listeners from all over the world. And we always enjoy reading in all the suggestions and topics that you send our way, as often we get to hear about different dark and strange cases and mysteries that we otherwise would probably never hear about. So in this episode, we have combined a few of these listener suggestions that have been sent our way recently to present and share with the rest of you. A few announcements before we start, though. As mentioned before, in preparation for an upcoming episode that focuses all about zombies and living the undead apocalypse, so those listeners who are zombie lovers like us can participate in our show by taking our zombie survival challenge, in which you can answer a few basic questions about living and surviving in the zombie world. Then on that episode, we will review your answers and discuss your chances of survival. So to take that zombie challenge, just either visit our Facebook group or visit our website, strangematterspodcast.com, and look for the corresponding zombie challenge post. Also, as a reminder that Strange Matters is made possible by our generous supporters over at Patreon. For any of you other listeners who enjoy Strange Matters and would like to help donate to the show, you can visit our page at patreon.com slash strangematters. And as bonus incentives, you can also help us decide what topics to focus on and even gain access to monthly bonus episodes. We would especially like to thank our newest supporter of the show, Heidi. And now let's go ahead and get into some of the various hauntings that we'll be discussing in this episode. Okay, so first up is the Black Forest, Colorado haunting. And this case was suggested to us by one of our most avid listeners, Casey. So... First off, thanks, Casey, for writing and suggesting this idea. Now, this is one story of a haunting that I had not heard before when she wrote in, but it definitely is a pretty compelling and creepy tale. So the Black Forest haunting starts back in 1991, when a man named Steve Lee and his wife Beth Lee moved into their new log home, set in the Black Forest of northern Colorado. For several years previously, the family had moved around and rented a number of other homes in the area. The couple and their children had first discovered a particularly isolated house that would later become their home in 1990 and decided to rent it. This house was set in the thickest parts of the Black Forest, and after falling in love with the location, the Lees bought the home the next year. Throughout their initial stay in the home, nothing out of the ordinary happened it seemed like just the -the run-of-the-mill house set back in the woods. However, soon after officially closing on the house, the Lee family began to notice some strange and unexplained occurrences happening at their new home. They found that room lights and appliances would suddenly turn themselves on and off, seemingly by themselves. Now, this seems to be a fairly common event that we've seen in a lot of 
seemingly haunted places. And though not exactly original yet, I'm pretty sure anyone listening to this episode right now would feel pretty instantly chilled and unnerved if the lights in the room next to you suddenly turned on, especially if you knew no one else was around. This is definitely something that I'm sure most people have experienced in their life. No matter how run-of-the-mill this may seem for just another ghost story, it's happened. If it happens to you, it's definitely scary. And when it starts to happen repeatedly, it quickly becomes even more terrifying. So, I mean, this has happened to me just sitting in my house at home. And I could be cool, calm, and relaxed, and it can change my demeanor just like that. Exactly. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for what's in store for the Lees. So, to make things even stranger, different noises could be heard frequently at the home. The Lees reported that many times they would hear what sounded like heavy footsteps stomping across the roof. And at other times, the family said that they could hear what sounded like heavy chains rattling against the house. And perhaps one of the oddest particulars to this case is at one time that they heard eerie orchestral music that could be heard playing throughout the woods surrounding the house. Now, one might be able to explain some of these things so far by saying the you know, the footsteps could belong to some woodland critter like a raccoon, and maybe some distant neighbor just liked to blast their favorite Tchaikovsky symphonies for all to hear. But the Lee family had stated that such a simple explanation would not suffice for all the weirdness surrounding their new home. Now, as time went on, the paranormal aspects of the house seemed to grow more and more intense. The family reported that they had several times caught sight of what they described as shadow people. Now, us here at Strange Matters are pretty familiar with such shadow figures, as we have been sent in numerous stories of encounters with them from different listeners. The fact that so many people have reportedly seen such ghostly apparitions perhaps gives some validity to the claims, unless all these different people are simply experiencing similar delusions or hallucinations. Now, along with the shadow people, the Lees started to see random orbs of light and glowing streaks that could be seen flittering about the house and in the woods. There are even some videos and pictures of these bizarre orbs and lights that you can look up online for yourself. Now, of course, by now, most people are aware of similar pictures and other paranormal events that have turned out to be hoaxes. Some who have investigated this case have come up with arguments to explain what is going on in the pictures or how the photographic pieces of evidence could have been faked. But at the same time, there are many others who are willing to believe that perhaps there is something more going on than just smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I don't know. At this point in the story, I'm not terribly convinced. Nothing thus far is really that far out of the ordinary as far as ghost stories go. I mean, we've all watched those crappy ghost hunter shows on television, and it seems like this is usually the extent of it. We have the the electronic voice phenomena, we have orbs that pop out of nowhere and only show themselves in photographs. You know, we've got lights cutting on and off, shadow people, strange noises. Nothing terribly out of the ordinary yet. Yeah. Like you just mentioned that these kind of orbs and lights are seen kind of in a lot and a lot of these kind of paranormal encounters. And a lot of times people just kind of can debunk them, either camera malfunction or just, you know, 
something reflecting the light, but it's still a lot of people will say that there is some type of paranormal aspect to some of these sightings. So to go further, as well as all the unexplained sounds surrounding the house and the creepy visions and orbs that were seen, the family also began to smell very strong and offensive chemical odors permeating through the house. Now, Steve Lee stated that the smell was so strong that it would make his family's eyes and throats burn. And I know personally I've kind of experienced the same thing when I've been in an enclosed area with you, Eric, and you rip a good one. <laughs> so, I, so I share their, uh, their pain there. Yeah. So, you know, this isn't the only strange stuff that's been going on. Um, they actually reported to the sheriff a total of 62 break-ins that occurred at the residence. And the sheriff ended up opening an investigation about it in 1993. Unfortunately, they were unable to find the source of the break-ins. But, you know, that nor were they able to find any actual crime that had actually been committed against the Lees. So, again, the Lee family was pretty much left on their own. Yeah, it's, I mean, at that frequency, it, was, it seemed like it was happening like every couple of days or just any time they went out. You know, they'd come back and like the windows and doors would be open. Yeah. But like you yeah. said, like nothing would really be stolen or broken or anything. It's just signs of break ins. Right. And there were like pry marks at some of the windows, like something had tried to pry the window open, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it's strange to think of why would someone or something continually break into a house, but then don't do anything else. Right. Exactly. My Very point. odd. Yeah. Now, Steve Lee, who at the time was a 34-year-old professional truck driver, he was convinced that some pranksters might be the culprit behind all this weird stuff going on and believed that someone might be trying to scare his family out of their new home. So he's trying to put a stop to all this madness that he and his family are going through, and he bought some security alarms and cameras and installed them around the house. Unfortunately, all this new equipment seemed to either malfunction as the alarms were constantly and randomly going off and the motion detectors would turn on when there apparently wasn't anything actually there. A lot of the pictures actually successfully took photographs. However, the photos all seemed to develop with strange kind of errors in them. For example, a few of them would have like blurs of light that would shroud the image and some even appeared to have strange faces in them. And this is something you can definitely Google and you know find it all over the internet. But so Steve, Steve Lee was convinced it was just a camera malfunction, so he eventually replaced all the cameras, but the same thing continued to happen over and over again. And they actually had a Hollywood special effects technician who at some point in time examined some of these photographs and he claimed that it would be extremely difficult to reproduce these photographs and that some of the pictures actually seemed to defy the laws of optics right so this this point it starts to ramp up a little bit because now they actually have tangible evidence that something weird is going on that can't be easily explained seemingly at the end of the ropes and without anyone else to turn to the Lees contacted the crew of the television show Sightings, which was a paranormal series that ran back in the 1990s. So when the crew of Sightings showed up, they encountered their own strange and unexplained events, 
including equipment falling over randomly and seemingly without cause. So one of the camera crew experienced what she described as something going into her. And when she experienced this feeling, all her arms and legs and her chest suddenly went numb and she just fell over into a chair crying uncontrollably and couldn't leave that fetal position she was in. And she actually didn't make a full recovery from whatever it was that happened until she was assisted off the property entirely. Right. Uh, the only problem I have with something like that is if I don't know if they're so paranoid or <laughs> just believe that something's going to happen, so it kind of tricks them into thinking, or perhaps it was kind of semi-staged just so they could get something like that on the on cameras or something to kind of boost ratings. Yeah, it's like well, even when you're in this situation and you've had all these strange things and 62 repeated attempted break-ins to your home, it's like you're starting to feel crazy. So what do you do? Well, you call the most reputable crazy people out there. And that at this time, usually in the case of ghost scenarios, it's a television show or some sort of paranormal investigator of some sort. Right. And yeah, like you said, they're just trying to boost their rating. So they're obviously going to stroke your ego. Yeah, that's true. Now, along with the, the regular crew of the TV show sightings, they brought a few others along with them, a few experts, and one of these included psychic investigator Peter James. Uh, during his visit to the Lee house, Peter James claimed that he sensed a powerful psychic energy vortex around the residence. Specifically, using his unique abilities, he said that he was able to narrow his search down to a particular closet on the second floor. Now, this closet, James stated, served as a type of gateway to what he called the other side and interestingly enough beside this closet was a large mirror and in numerous photographs of this mirror it appears as if there are some disembodied faces that can be seen with glowing eyes james thinks that these reflective apparitions are spirits that are searching for the life that they once had and perhaps strangest of all none of the clothes taken from this closet ever seem to fit just right that was a joke. <laughs> so besides the psychic investigator, another paranormal expert who came with the crew was a ghostbuster who's named Echo Bodine. Echo claimed that she could sense a particular threatening male spirit that resided in the living room of the home. And to further her claims, they had a thermal imaging camera which managed to pick up an image in the room which was attributed to this malevolent ghost. Bodine stated that this spirit was being very territorial considering that the Lee's house to be his own, and she said that he was the main party responsible for all the random strangeness happening at the home. Along with this troublesome spirit haunting the living room, Bodine also picked up the presence of up to two dozen additional spirits that were residing elsewhere around the house and called the level of otherworldly activity in the house as monumental. So along with Peter James's theory of this spiritual gateway located in the house, a shaman of the Hopi tribe who was familiar with the region where the Lee home was also claimed that the area is what they call a rainbow vortex. And this vortex is one of the few spots on Earth that contains such psychic energy, 
this vortex connects our world that we know with the spiritual realm. And apparently the Black Forest is just one of three known locations that can be considered a rainbow vortex. It's kind of an ironic term for this particular situation. You wouldn't really expect murderous poltergeists and apparitions to come out of a rainbow vortex. You'd expect, like, butterflies and unicorns to come out of them. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd name, but... Now, they go along with the more paranormal theories as to what is happening at the Lee home. Steve Lee had his own idea. In a later interview with a TV reporter, Steve admitted that he didn't really buy into the whole spirit and ghost angles as much as his own conspiracy theory that he came up with. Steve went on to say that, in a quote, I truly think the U.S. government has a hand in this. I don't think any one individual could get away with this for this period of time without getting caught. The government does testing out here that has military implications. So, rather than the spirits being the ones tormenting his family, Steve instead believes that the U.S. government was using his family as human guinea pigs testing a variety of biological weapons for psychic warfare. Steve also claimed that he had fallen ill due to toxic chemicals that the government sprayed in his van. This, this theory isn't completely, you know, synthesized out of thin air uh, because Steve actually reportedly saw some strange men in military fatigues carrying assault rifles on his property. And he actually spent several hours trying to photograph these men. Unfortunately, it, it never really came to fruition. But, you know, this even to the point where one of his neighbors had to actually file a restraining order to keep him from taking pictures across property lines. And as much as this may sound like a conspiracy, it's honestly about as plausible as any other explanation that's been offered thus far. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you kind of have two different theories on the two opposite sides, one paranormal and one like super conspiracy theories that the government's messing with him, but... Right. You got to pick your poison as to which one you think is more believable. So as far as the theories go, most of them would be considered pretty extreme by the average person, considering that either a gateway or vortex is allowing spirits into our earthly realm. Though there is no definitive scientific proof of what was the cause for all the unexplained phenomenon going on at the Lee home, Nearly every paranormal and psychic investigator who has been to the residence agrees that it is a very active site. Many believe that there is some type of energy either in the house or perhaps residing below it, and that that is a reason and explanation for all the creepy and mysterious activities. Well, it's kind of apparent that all the psychic investigators who visit the residence would agree it's a very active site. They kind of all have the same agenda. They're all out there trying to promote their TV shows or their books or their talk shows or podcasts or whatever. Yeah, especially for a kind of story that kind of on this level, Yeah, you kind of want to attach your name to it. Definitely. that, That makes sense. So just to summarize kind of what happens at the end, In 1997, the Lees had spent nearly $70,000 trying to find the source of the paranormal energy and collected over 3,000 photographs and 400 videotapes, which showed anomalous phenomena. Steve and his wife spent a majority of their savings accounts, 
their kids' future college funds and a lot of their investments buying security equipment, trying to find out exactly what was going on. But unfortunately, they never collected anything that gave them a concrete answer as to what was behind all this unexplained events that the family was suffering through. There are numerous photographic and filmed evidence of a number of these events, such as the streaks of light, glowing orbs, and faces in the mirror. That's up to you whether you consider them valid or a hoax. Now, while some claim that the whole thing is simply a hoax or just people's imaginations running wild, others who are more open to other possibilities maintain that these pieces of evidence have not been officially debunked and may be proof of some type of connection to the other side, whatever that may be. So to this day, the Black Forest haunting remains one of the most intriguing and unexplained paranormal stories. Yeah. So, Sean, you say they suffered through these events. However, you know, this actually became more of a way of life for the family as they become so accustomed to these strange occurrences over such a long period of time. These things would never affect them the way it would an average person. Yeah, I guess it'd be the same thing like if you live next to like the train tracks or something. Yeah. After a while, you just get used to your house shaking all the time while a person visiting would get freaked out. Yeah. So, I mean, if they did spend years there and there's just every type of weird thing going on, I can see how eventually they would just get used to it and find peace in the house. It's still an interesting story, though, and a lot of unknown mysteries that are still attributed to it. Yeah, I don't... As an outsider looking in, I don't think I'd ever be able to get used to the concept of somebody standing outside my house in military fatigues looking at me, but whatever. Even just the, the, the break-ins, you know, even if you ignore all the paranormal and unknown stuff, just the fact that your house is repeatedly getting broken into, you know, dozens of times a year and you can't explain it and the police can't explain it. Right, right. It just, that would creep me out more than anything. I would get out of there. Definitely. Props to them for staying though. Right. Well, I guess at that point that they didn't have enough money to move out, so they didn't have an option. That's true. Although I'd probably be pretty content living in a box in the middle of a city if it meant getting out of a place like that. Agreed. So on that note, um, let's move on to another well-known haunted house situation known as the Atlanta Blood House. And this story was suggested to us by Ashley, also one of our um, big fans. And this was a particularly dark haunting. Um, So thanks for the suggestion, Ashley. And this story starts on September 8th in 1987 at 1114 Fountain Drive in southwest Atlanta, Georgia. And a woman by the name of Minnie Winston, having just stepped out of her bath, finds dark red splotches on her bathroom floor. Not only that, There was also the same red substance seemingly oozing out of the walls of the bathroom. Unsure of what this could be, she yelled to wake up her husband, William Winston, and said, Come look at all this red stuff coming out of the floor. At the age of 79, she became nervous when he did not initially respond. However, when he did appear in the hallway, in no apparent distress... Her fear quickly turned to utter confusion, as there no longer existed a reasonable explanation for the red splotches. The Winstons had rented this house for nearly 22 years, 
and nothing unusual had ever happened in this house before. They didn't know what to make of the red splotches, so the couple eagerly began to search their house for a potential cause. However, the search led only to more questions, as they soon found more matching spots in other rooms of the house. Left with no other options, the couple eagerly waited until morning to call the police. When the police arrived, they searched the house, naturally, and what they found is what makes this story so infamous. They found unexplained, copious amounts of blood splattered on walls and floors in five other rooms with no possible explanation. The police had no choice but to declare the house a crime scene so that they might keep the press away. Yeah, while researching for this mystery, this case kind of reminded me of the San Pedro haunting that we discussed a while back in our Unwanted Guest episode. And for those unfamiliar with that paranormal case, a woman experienced multiple unexplained and disturbing events in her home, one of which was a mysterious goo that seemed to ooze down her walls. And when tested, it was found that that substance turned out to be human plasma and a lot of it. So the two cases kind of share that same bizarre aspect of having pools of either human blood or plasma found, but no explanation as to where it actually came from. Yeah, that's interesting. I This whole episode was kind of reminding me of the San Pedro haunting. These are some pretty, arguably, some of the more um, stronger evidence for the existence of, you know, the paranormal. Right. Anyways, when questioned about the matter, many later said, I didn't get scared because I didn't know where it was coming from. It didn't look like blood, and it didn't smell like blood. I don't really know what blood smells like, do you, Sean? Uh, not really. I haven't really smelled pools of blood before, so... Yeah, neither have I, but I don't think blood's really associated with much of a scent. But anyway, she's probably lying anyways. (laughs) So what could explain this bizarre and disturbing discovery? Some people think it might be animals. However, the Winstons had no pets and claimed there had never been any problems with infestations in the past. And plus, you would think that there'd be, like, if it was animals, that there'd be flesh or some type of... Right, or fur. Either body parts or... Bones, yeah. Yeah, just something around. Yeah, no. It seems too calculated. Yeah. So, one interesting aspect is that um, William actually suffered from chronic kidney disease, and he frequently had to undergo dialysis procedures to have his blood cleansed of toxins. And these usually took place at his house. So this offers a potential explanation as, you know, there are some medical issues involved and the guy's having frequent venous access. However, both of the Winstons insisted that the blood belonged to neither of them. And the other thing is that the, just the sheer quantity of blood would imply that if it had come from William, he would at least be experiencing side effects from such a significant blood loss. Right, because as you said before, there was blood splattered in like multiple rooms in the house. So this wasn't just one contained spot. It was a lot of blood all over the house. Yes, yes. And there's some other evidence that we'll talk about in a little bit that'll completely defy this explanation. So one of the main investigators was a detective 
named Steve Cartwright, and he examined the scene shortly after the occurrence and said, It's an extremely strange situation. I've been on the force 10 years, and I've never seen anything like this. He also stated that no crime had been committed, and there was no evidence found to indicate that anyone had done anything wrong. The Georgia State Police Lab investigated and determined that the red splotches were without a doubt human blood. They also determined that it was blood type O, and both the Winstons were type A. Right, so that kind of rules them out right there as for the blood belonging to them. But we still don't know if it didn't belong to them, where did the blood come from? So as for if the Winstons believe that there was any type of paranormal element to this mysterious blood found in their house, Mrs. Winston claimed that she and her husband had never experienced anything like this before. She would not, however, specifically state whether she believed that her house was or was not haunted. And it is also unknown if the Winstons believe in the possibility that their home might have been the site of a supernatural occurrence. Well, you know, see, one of the things that's been bothering me about this story, in stark contrast to the Black Forest, Colorado haunting, is that this wasn't a series of events that took place over the course of several years it's a single occurrence so that makes me less likely to consider it a haunting um, right. rather more of just an acute freak accident that's true yeah because as you said most hauntings kind of be like over time chronic a number of the cases we've seen it kind of escalates over time where it gets more and more intense and there's more things here but yeah like you said here it's they kind of just stumble across pools of blood that somehow and suddenly appeared in multiple rooms in their house and then that was it there was no other weird events or anything like that going on so that is kind of true that you don't really see many paranormal cases or hauntings in which it's like a one day kind of deal it makes me more likely to think it's a, a hoax of some sort but anyways continue yeah that's that's definitely a possibility but there are a couple other theories that people come up with now, there have been other cases of these human blood mysteriously appearing in odd places with a varying degree of believed causes. There are a number of cases of manifestations of blood that have been reported as an aspect of some religious miracles where blood is seen or observed to suddenly flow from the statues of saints. Believers take this as a sign that the blood has a heavenly or holy origin. As for other more supernatural cases, there are some instances of paranormal blood reports where those that mention bloodstains in conjunction with some ghost encounters, especially those associated with a violent death or murder. So that coming be your typical haunting where if someone's killed or died violently in a house, you would start seeing visions of spirits along with visions of blood splattered all over the place. However, the reported blood in a lot of these cases seem to have been made up of the same material as the apparitions themselves, and that the substances, whatever they are, either completely disappear along with the visions of the spirits, or just turns out to be something other than actual human blood. For the Atlanta Bloodhouse, it is a pretty unique case in that we have scientific tests proving that it is indeed human blood that was found pooled in the house. 
The question remains, though, as to where did it come from and why did it appear in the house in the first place? So there have been several explanations offered regarding this disturbing discovery. And rumors existed that suggest family troubles between the Winstons and their children existed that would offer at least a potential motivation for one party or the other to perpetrate this hoax. Right, so the most simplest explanation would most likely be that someone, for some reason, brought the blood into the house. The police detective in charge of the case at the time said that it was his professional opinion that someone had deliberately splattered the blood around the house as a hoax, further stating that the family problems apparently existed which gave either the Winstons or their children a possible motive for perpetrating such a hoax. However, at the same time, there's no actual evidence to show that either party was responsible for the hoax, and you can basically just go on speculation. So if the Winstons were trying to obtain like attention from their children, it's possible that given the chronic kidney disease, they would potentially have access to blood that they could have stored over a long period of time. Uh, but on the other side, apparently their daughter actually worked as a nurse and could have potentially access to blood products as well, suggesting she was trying to have her septuagenarian parents declared incompetent for financial reasons. Right, so right there you have kind of motives and opportunities for either the parents or the daughter to pull this off. Right. But beyond it being a hoax carried out just by the family, you could also come up with the explanation that it was a basically a random person that broke into the house and poured out the blood for some unknown reason. And this probably seems even more unlikely. Perhaps, though, that there was someone around the area that wanted to either pull a prank on the Winstons, perhaps as some type of personal revenge, or maybe they just wanted to start a story that would somehow make the news. But I guess that's another explanation that, you know, if it isn't the parents doing it or the daughter... That maybe it's a neighbor, just some weird random wacko in the neighborhood who's trying to pull this off. Yeah, no, that's reasonable. There's definitely a bunch of weird people out there. That definitely wouldn't be the weirdest thing I've seen in my life. But, you know, when the when the strange story did finally make headlines, Minnie and William started to receive a lot of unwanted attention from the press and independent investigators, as many, you know, would kind of suspect would happen. This included phone calls and random visits to house at all hours of the day. However, they kept to their word and stated over and over again that the blood did not come from them and that it was in no way a hoax. So, and this kind of adds to the it, it adds to the Winston's defense. Makes them makes it appear that they would be less likely to have had motivation to commit this sort of crime. Yeah. But Minnie said, I still don't know where the blood came from, in an interview a few days after the lab results were revealed. And then she said, I'm tired of all of these people asking me all these questions. If anybody comes here today, I'm not going to open the door. So, however, given that there were, there was no murder, the police eventually decided not to investigate the situation any further and just kind of gave up on it. And the police still to this day never determined who or where the blood came from. However... The Winstons have experienced no further incidents at the home now known as the Bleeding House. So it's kind of, kind of, as you mentioned earlier, it's two 
kind of opposite cases between the Bleeding House and the Haunted Forest, where, you know, the Haunted Forest went on for a long period of time. The Lee family brought in television crew. A lot of experts came over from all over the country, and it made, like, really big news. Whereas here is the Blood House, something weird happened for one day, and really the Winstons didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. After the whole stories came out, they didn't like the publicity. They wanted all the questions to go away um, and kind of just try to brush it all under the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. So the third case we're going to be looking at is the Tautamona of Guam. And this was suggested to us by Dylan. All right. So he wrote to us and said that the island that he lives on has an interesting myth. Now, Guam is predominantly Catholic island, but the people still practice animism and ancestral worship here to a certain degree. To this day, most people have believed in something here known as the Tatamona, which are ancestral spirits that are tied to certain objects or areas. On the island, it is customary to ask permission to pass through certain patches of land, and if you wanted to urinate in the jungle. If you don't ask permission, the spirits of that area would haunt you. The Tautamona spirits, if disrespected, can make certain body parts swell. There might even be bruising and teeth and fingernail marks present on a person that is being haunted. There's a great deal that these spirits are capable of. The legend says that they can control the wind, rain, and lightning. The spirits are even known to appear in photographs, and this he discovered through someone telling him and their personal experience. So these Tautamona are again ancestral spirits that were believed by the chamorros to inhabit the earth along with humans a long time ago and these spirits were said to provide protection and prosperity but could also cause major problems for anyone who didn't abide by their rules these spirits were a large part of day-to-day life and families often referred to them by name and other terms of endearment Given the close family ties, they were thought to inhabit family properties or lands, and some of them were even believed to dwell in ancestral skulls that the Chamorros would keep in baskets within their homes. As Dylan mentions, in order to relieve yourself in the jungle, you would have to say a phrase that literally translates to, Grandmother and Grandfather, may I use the restroom here? When you come to my land, you may do the same. If you don't say this, then the spirits will haunt you. However, as Guam has become more modernized and influenced by Spanish Catholicism, their perspective on these spirits has changed more to that of evil and troublesome entities that exist more as pagan memories of a distant heritage. One type of troublesome spirit is known as a duende, which again, this is a a sub group of Tautamonas. And the the Duende are small dwarf-like persons that go around naked, and they're most commonly known for luring young children into the jungle by taking the form of a red fantail bird and singing songs or offering gifts. As the legend goes, the Duende will shrink the child down to such a small size that anyone searching for the children will pass right over top of them. When the children are finally found, they suffer from a strange sort of paralysis where they'll just kind of simply stare blankly into space with this empty gaze, and the only way to cure them is to take them to a priest or a medicine man. Now I'm wondering if there is kind of a 
I guess, scientifical background. I don't know about the terrestrial bug life in Guam, but I'm wondering if there's any, like, spiders or anything that if they bite you, it can cause temporary paralysis or something that could explain this. And perhaps the people back then didn't know exactly what was the cause of it, so believe that spirits were behind it. Yeah, that's true. There's a type of seizure that frequently occurs in young children called an absence seizure and basically that's exactly what happens is they just sort of go into this trance and stare blankly into outer space for sometimes a very long long time Um, so this again seems like kind of a a primitive explanation for a very real phenomenon so there are other versions of these spirits that have the ability to take the form of many different types of animals However, on rare occasions, they will try to take the form of family members or even distant relatives, and they'll kind of do this in an attempt to gain access to people's homes and to, you know, kind of use this as a means to play tricks on people and cause trouble. However, a lot of times they don't always get the transformation right on the first try, and sometimes when they appear, they'll be missing a head or sometimes missing a face. That's pretty terrifying. It, it is pretty terrifying. Um, they frequently present with either attractive or repulsive sense, one of the two. I'm trying to come up with a joke about Sean. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> and when speaking, they can often be heard as incomprehensible gibberish or sometimes hissing or even archaic Chamorro speak. They possess the ability to make humans severely ill, which they do so by either pinching or biting their victims, like we talked about earlier. A lot of time, and as mentioned earlier, these apparitions have the ability to control the elements so they can control the wind, the rain, lightning, and thunder, and they'll usually use this to kind of wield it as a means to fill their victims with terror. So this fear of these spirits pervades the culture. Many have devised methods to keep them at bay. Now these techniques most consist of wearing a particular color, which is designed to repel the spirits. And some say that salt also acts as a repellent. In the early 1900s, a Chamara man who was, who was an unbeatable wrestler was supposedly conquered after his opponent applied salt to the ring before their match. Money, sacred religious objects, and even the church itself are thought to be objects and places where the Tatamoa cannot approach. See, so yeah, the, the Tatamona seem to be really troublesome creatures from Guam. It seems like all the cultures and civilizations of the world have their own take on demons and stuff like this. And it seems like they kind of just use this to tell scary stories to their children to keep them in line to keep them from going into the woods at night right troublesome spirits and stuff yeah so yeah that kind of bleeds right into our our fourth and final topic of the episode and that is la llorona and this case was suggested to us by arlene so this is a story that has been passed down through the generations for hundreds of years The legend of La Llorona, which is Spanish for the Weeping Woman, has been a part of Southwest Hispanic culture for centuries now. La Llorona is known as a spirit who is blessed with a great beauty and long flowing black hair. 
As the legend goes, she is always seen wearing a white gown, roaming along rivers and creeks. The ghost spends every night wailing and searching for any unlucky child that she can capture, who is then caught in her trap and dragged to their watery demise. We do not know exactly when the legend of La Llorona began or what region it originally came from. There are multiple different versions of the story of La Llorona, as the tales vary from source to source, as it was passed down initially orally from the older generations to the young. The one common theme shared in all the different takes of the story, though, is that this ghost is a spirit of a doomed mother who drowned her children, and now she must spend the rest of eternity searching for them alongside bodies of water. So though there are numerous different tales, here is one of the tellings of the legend of La Llorona. There was once an incredibly beautiful but poor woman named Maria from a small village. This woman attracted the attention of every man in town, but she thought too highly of herself to marry someone local and of low status. Maria waited until she met a rich man who was passing through the town. Upon seeing this beautiful woman, the nobleman instantly fell in love. The rich man and the beautiful woman were soon married and ultimately had two children two boys in some tellings, while other versions have it a twin boy and girl. However, as time went on and the years passed, the rich man became dissatisfied with his wife, as she grew older and less beautiful than when they met. The man then spotted another woman, even more pretty than Maria had ever been. He left his wife for this new woman, being younger and coming from wealth as well. Knowing her husband was planning on abandoning her and ending her life of luxury, in a state of rage, Maria grabbed their two children and dragged them into the river. She then drowned them in front of him out of revenge. Once her kids lay dead in the water, Maria realized the horror of what she had done. The woman was so distraught over her actions that she could no longer go on, and she drowned herself as well. Soon after this, Maria's spirit rose, and she found that she could not find her lost children anywhere. Their souls hid from her out of fear of their deranged mother. So, Maria returned to this world of the living to seek for her kids. The legend states that this woman now became La Llorona, and walks along the rivers at night wailing and screaming, looking for her children. If she finds any young children or youths wandering along the riversides by themselves after dark, her spirit will capture them and pull them into the water, drowning them just like she did to her own children. This obsessed and vengeful spirit hopes that with the drowning of these unfortunate sacrifices, that she can exchange their souls in place of her own children. Still, after all these years and countless drownings, the ghost of La Llorona still has not found her two lost children, and still prowls the night in search of new victims. So kind of what we were just saying like many tales that are as old and as legendary as La Llorona this story serves a purpose in the Hispanic culture beyond just being a spooky tale uh, this kind of reminds me of the Native American legend of the Wendigo creature which we covered a while ago which helped reinforce the taboo against cannibalism along with being a scary campfire story the legend of La Llorona also helps serve as a means to keep young children inside after dark and to keep them from sneaking out at night, where any matter of bad things could happen to them that doesn't really involve the paranormal. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. All these stories that come from different types of cultures and 
different lands. They all really kind of have a central purpose, yeah. in my opinion, because they're all so 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 random, and it would seem. But it's almost like they're all just out there to keep children in line and keep them behaving properly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it works if these stories have been going on for centuries now. As for this story today, there are still apparently sightings of this spirit. And online, you can find numerous accounts of people who say that they see and encounter the outline of a crying woman trying to call them to the river. And though there are numerous cases of people seemingly encounter La Llorona, there, of course, is an actual evidence that her spirit exists. And with the end of that story, we will wrap up this episode of the Strange Matters podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you have any feedback on any of the topics that we discuss in this episode, or if you have ideas and suggestions for future episodes, please feel free to contact us at our email, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, strangematterspodcast.com, where you can listen to and download all of our episodes. Strange Matters is a member of the Dark Myths Collective. That is a group of like-minded podcasts that deals with subject matters that range from paranormal, mystery, true crime, and history. Particularly for this month, the featured podcast is The Baddest Ass. And that's a pretty comical history podcast in which they take any two people from different eras of time and pit them against each other. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps us to promote the podcast and reach new listeners. Until next time at Strange Matters Podcast, take it easy, everybody. Take care.